everybody and welcome to another episode of Murder Moms. I'm Maggie and this is Janessa. Hello. So Janessa, what have you been up to this week or these last two weeks? I really don't think much. We had um, we had D&D mm-hmm. and that was really fun. Yeah. Matt did a, a special 420 D&D where we had to help what were essentially Scooby and Shaggy in the woods and oh, that was hilarious. So funny. I realized what it was, like, fairly early on. Yeah. It was really good. Mm-hmm. I see what's happening here. Yeah. That was that was really fun. Um, but other than that, I really haven't been doing much of anything. Mm-hmm. Just work and mom stuff. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. All right. We found a ladder today. We did find a ladder today. We Just were on the side of the road. <laughs> driving down the highway, talking about, I don't even know what it was anymore. Doesn't and matter. Both of us together go, oh my god, is that a ladder? Free ladder. We straight up pulled off the side of the road, went up the dirt service road, and went back to the ladder and put it in the back of the car. So that's what we did today. And honestly, it's in very good condition for being on the side of the road. Like, I would expect to find that in, like, Habitat for Humanity. It was, yeah, it wasn't there this morning when I drove down the road, so. So, today, I decided to do a female serial killer. Fantastic. Today, we are going to be talking about Jolly Jane Toppin. She's a nurse. (laughs) She is a nurse. Yeah, I know about Jolly Jane. Yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna get a little bit into this because... Obviously, we know about Jolly Jane Toppin. She's a very well-known female serial killer. Mm -hmm. She was one of the first serial killers before we even had the term for it. Mm -hmm. So, very well-known. We're going to get into it, go over some things that I didn't know, maybe some things that you don't know. Probably not, though, because you read a lot more than me. (laughs) Um, Did you have your husband look over this and... No, I didn't because <sighs> he listens that I wanted it to be a surprise. Oh, good. But I did tell him, I was like, hey, the person I'm doing right now is a nurse. And he was like, okay, why are you saying it to me <laughs> like that? And I was like, <laughs> Honora Kelly was born late March in 1954 in Boston, Massachusetts, and was the youngest of three girls. Sadly, her mother passed away a few years later from tuberculosis. And her father, Peter Kelly, took care of the girls, if you can call it that. Mm. Peter was a tailor, an alcoholic, and an abusive father to the girls. He was so well known for his behavior around town that he was known as Kelly the Crack, as in crackpot. Fantastic. Yes. Rumors were constantly questioning his sanity, going so far to say that Peter had actually sewn his own eyes shut when he was working as a tailor. Sometime in 1860, Peter took six-year-old Honora and her eight-year-old sister Delia to the Boston Female Asylum. The asylum worked as a sort of orphanage for destitute girls. The asylum had documentation the girls were surrounded by the father, stating they were being rescued from a, quote, very miserable home. But there was no other information on the girls' time spent there. The eldest child, Nellie, was admitted to an insane asylum instead. Fantastic. Peter never returned for the two younger girls, and Delia is said to have become a sex worker Mm -hmm. as an adult. 
I imagine that happened a lot with women who ended up in asylums. Not insane asylums, but like regular old asylums. Yeah. In November 1962, Honora was sent to live with the Toppins as an indentured servant. This was less than two years after her dad had abandoned her and her sister. The Toppins never formally adopted Honora, but called her Jane and gave her their surname and raised her alongside their own daughter, Elizabeth. Supposedly, the family had passed Jane off as an Italian orphan whose father had died at sea since there was such a bad name for the Irish at this time, mm. and they just didn't <laughs> want, yeah. Jane was recognized by the community as a token, nonetheless. Now, Jane Tobin, she was said to be very mischievous, a thief, and a liar, though she was also just excruciatingly smart, like very quick-witted. Mm-hmm. Again, the Toppins never formally adopted Jane, and it is reported that Mrs. Toppin was said to have abused Jane verbally and emotionally. It is believed that because of this, Jane began to resent Elizabeth, whom she had initially had a really good relationship with and had always treated her really well. Yeah. Jane, according to rumors, envied Elizabeth, knowing that she would eventually end up married and in love and everything that comes with it, you know, mm -hmm. the family, the security. Right. Jane is said to have been courted by a Lowell office worker and may have even been engaged when the man gifted her a ring with a bird engraving. Supposedly, the relationship didn't last because the man fell in love with and eventually married his landlord's daughter. But there's not anything to really support this. This could just be rumors. Okay. There are reports that Jane developed a hard shell of a personality to combat the abuse. Supposedly, Jane began to speak loudly and poorly of the Irish community to combat her own internalized hatred. Mm -hmm. She talked so bad about the Catholic Church that she was just seen as a crazy person, essentially, at this point. Right. While Jane had good friends, there were classmates that did not remember her fondly, citing Toppin's constant outrageous lying and petty theft. I know all kids, like, lie and take things, because that's just, like, nature of children is to be, you know, kind of... They're self, um, self-serving. Yeah. That's the way babies are. But the reports on this were a lot weirder. You know, it was, like, big things that she was taking, not just, like, buttons or something right. that kids usually take. Yeah. In 1874, Jane graduated from Lowell High School at the age of 18 and was giving her predetermined $50 from the Toppins as part of her indentured agreement. However, she continued to serve the family even after Mrs. Toppin had passed away. Jane then tended to her adopted sister Elizabeth and her husband Ormel, who was a deacon at Lowell Church. Once Elizabeth and Ormel were married, Jane left for Cambridge Hospital, where she enrolled in a nursing program in 1885, assured by Elizabeth that she was always welcome home. So Elizabeth loved her and treated her like anybody else would. Mm -hmm. Tobin seemed to have found her place at the hospital, where she was highly successful and known for being bright and friendly, both by staff and patients. Tobin would go so far to help her patients that she would falsify their medical records to get them longer stays at the hospital, using this time to strengthen her relationships with them. Definitely before the current American healthcare system. Please don't lengthen my stay. Please mm -hmm. let me go. Mm -hmm. 
She would pick her favorite patients, which were normally older and had a terminal diagnosis. Other trainees at the hospitals, though, began to complain about Toppin and her constant gossiping about students and excitement when the students she did not like didn't make it through the program. Hmm. She was also known to make unnecessary lies, once saying the Tsar of Russia had offered her a job. What was not known at the time was that Jane was performing experiments on her favorite patients. She started small at first, altering doses of morphine and atropine to see how it affected the patient's nervous system. Tobin spent countless hours with these patients, manipulating their medications, information, and often climbing into bed with them without their knowledge or consent. Mm. Toppin found a method that made the experience for her near climactic. Oh. She would use morphine and atropine, a form of belladonna, mm -hmm. together on her patients as morphine contracts the pupils while atropine expands them, making the symptoms harder for physicians to detect. Furthermore, the testing they had at the time couldn't even detect the medication well enough to know anything malicious had been done. Later, it was discovered that Toppin wasn't changing charts to help her patients, but to ensure that they stay at the hospital longer, allowing her to experiment on them. Right. It is also rumored that Toppin would poison some patients with medication to bring them to the cusp of death only to miraculously heal them, though I couldn't find anything to support those claims. That's a common angel of death thing as well, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Toppin had an estimated dozen victims while working at the Cambridge Hospital. One of the patients, Amelia Finney, is the only known former patient of Toppin who survived and has come forward with their experiences. So there's other people, surely, that have survived, but they didn't actually, like, come and make a statement. Yeah, they might not have realized who their nurse was or just been like, that's a crazy lady, I don't want to deal with that ever again. Or what happened. Yeah. So Mrs. Finney recalled what she had thought was a fever dream of convulsing uncontrollably in bed, covered in sweat and panicking. Amelia stated that Toppin climbed into bed with her, rubbing and stroking her gently while telling Amelia that everything was going to be okay because Tobin was there to care for her. Tobin was interrupted and left, and the next morning, Amelia was confused and thought it to be nothing more than her illness. And it wasn't until Jolly Jane became known as the murderous nurse that she was that Mrs. Finney realized that she was essentially one dose away from death. Mm -hmm. So there could be other people, or rather could have been, because this is the late 1800s, yeah. that had the same experience, but thought the same thing that Mrs. Finney did, and because it was the 1800s and news wasn't, as easily obtainable, right. they never made the connection. Right. In 1889, Tobin was given recommendations for Massachusetts General Hospital and took the job. She was again suspected of petty theft, mostly for stealing a patient's jewelry. Her more severe and terrifying crimes were not suspected, but Tobin experimented on more than a dozen patients while there, so roughly one a month. Mm -hmm. The head nurse, having taken a leave of absence, left Toppin as interim, which led to staff noticing her complete disregard for recommended dosage. This still was not enough. It wasn't until Toppin broke, I guess, a pretty big rule and left the ward without permission that uh -huh. she was released from contract. Yeah. Still, Massachusetts General Hospital recommended Toppin as a private care nurse, a job she did for roughly a year before returning to her previous employer, Cambridge Hospital. It's very frustrating to me is the recommendation thing. And that's a thing that still happens now with doctor stuff. Like when I listen to the podcast, Dr. Death, 
Um, I'm pretty sure he got recommendations to various places when he was um, violating patient uh, dosages and things like that. Yeah. And they were just like, no, it's fine. We're just going to transfer him. Yeah, we're just going to push him off on somebody else yeah. so he's not our liability. Which is like a similar thing that happens with police because there's no there's no um, database for police incidences. And so if you have too many, they just say, oh, we're going to transfer you to another uh, state or precinct or whatever. And you have no more record. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, it's frustrating that it took so long for her to get in trouble enough for them to get rid of her. And then that they just passed her on as someone who has spent a lot of time in hospitals. That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Toppin had been released from her Massachusetts General Hospital contract before receiving her diploma or licensing and hoped to finish her necessary credits at Cambridge. She was again let go for recklessly administering morphine and atropine. Both hospitals, however, despite her behavior, recommended Topin for private care. Oh, look, I could have just waited for my rant. Not wanting to have someone to look over her shoulder anymore, Jane Topin became a privately hired nurse in Boston in 1890. Apparently, there were multiple complaints against Topin for petty theft. Despite the claims, Toppin was never wanting for work. By the mid-1890s, Jane Toppin was renting from Israel and Lovely Dunham, an elderly couple in Boston. Her name is Lovely? Her name was Lovely. That is delightful. Yes. Uh, I couldn't find any photos or much information on the couple, unfortunately, though I love the name Lovely. Sadly, Toppin poisoned Israel in 1895, saying the man was sick and feeble. Though, really, she just thought he was fussy and demanding because he was her landlord and, you know, wanted to be paid. Yeah, that's totally unreasonable. <laughs> Two years later, in 1897, Toppin would poison Lovely. The couple were both in their 70s when they were murdered, respectively. In 1899, Elizabeth, Toppin's pseudo-sister, invited Toppin to her summer home for a visit. Summer home? Yeah, white people stuff. <laughs> in 1899, Elizabeth, Tobin's pseudo-sister, invited Tobin to her summer home for a visit. Tobin would slowly poison Elizabeth with strychnine, a highly toxic, colorless, bitter, crystalline alkaloid used in pesticides, usually small rodents. This was to ensure suffering. Tobin yeah. later admitted that this was the only victim that she felt any anger over, and likely the only person she killed out of hatred. Of course, Toppin played off Elizabeth's death as an unfortunate and unrelated sickness. Mm -hmm. Toppin then told Elizabeth's widower, Ormel, that Elizabeth had asked Toppin to be given her gold watch, which Ormel agreed because his wife was giving and a loving human being. Yeah. So, of course, she pawned the watch. It's... it's really too bad that Elizabeth was probably the only one from, from what we can tell who actually would have cared for Jane it's not like the parents were the ones who were not great and that the anger got put onto Elizabeth instead of where it should have been directed which is completely normal yes, to direct anger especially for children oh yeah so that's fairly sad that she really had that, that anger and animosity towards her one ally. 
I really think that Elizabeth was the only one who actually saw her as family. Yes, it, it sounds like that. She was told, like, this is your sister now, and she was like, okay, cool. Yeah, but she, she pawned the watch. Yes, she did. Very quickly. After returning home in the winter of 1899, Toppin began caring for 70-year-old Mary McClear after McClear's doctor recommended Toppin. Toppin stole a woman's clothes before poisoning her in December of that year. This murder is odd, as Toppin didn't know McClear well. Toppin did not know the woman well and usually took time to get to know her victims personally, as this was part of her arousal and the intimacy of the relationship. It's such an icky word when it comes to... I know, man. This topic. It's... I don't like it. McLear had only been her patient a very short time, like, days. Oh, wow. Before she just offed her? Yeah. And usually she, you know, over a couple weeks or so. Not, like, an extended, like, years worth yeah, of time. Yeah, but, but... Yeah. No, she, she just walked in and was like, oh, this is nice. I'll have it. In February 1900... Jolly Jane Toppin killed her longtime friend, Myra Connors, with strychnine, the same poison she'd used with Elizabeth, in order to steal the woman's job. Her job. Myra had a cushy job working as the dining matron at the theological school that Toppin felt she deserved. Was she in line to get that job? No. Once Myra (laughs) was dead... Once Myra was dead, Toppin went to see the dean of the school and lied that Myra would be leaving soon and had told Jane that she would be recommending Jane for the job. And even further, she had shown or explained all the duties of the job to Jane already. He was confused but relieved and gave the job to Toppin. Like, she had... (sighs) she, She was a nurse and for whatever reason decided she wanted to work in a kitchen. And was just like, you know what? I'll take that. Thanks. It becomes a pattern for her that she really does attack the people that she's closer to. Mm-hmm. It's that intimacy of a relationship that she's going for with this. Yeah. Almost immediately, Tobin's new co-workers knew something was off, as she seemed completely overwhelmed and incompetent at the job. No kidding. However, this did not stop Toppin from working at the cafeteria of the biological school in Woods Hole. In November, Toppin was let go from the theological school, not because of murder, thankfully. She is said to have no victims during this time, but for complaints made against her. Was she stealing? She was just being an asshole. She was making up lies and being rude to people. I wish we could get rid of people for that. I know, man. In 1901, Toppin was living with new landlords, Eliza and Melvin Beadle. Straight to murder? She only poisoned them. She did. Only. Listen. Just a little bit of poison? (laughs) Only that, nothing else. Listen. (laughs) She poisoned them just to give them a gastrointestinal illness. And oopsie doopsie too much. Yeah, so you're like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, she usually kills them though. And you're right, she did, but this worked more to her advantage. The Beatles had a housekeeper who they ended up needing a lot more because they were so sick. Mm. See? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mary Sullivan had been the Beatles housekeeper for a little while, so when she started being drunk daily, 
The Beatles were worried and confused, but Toppin swooped in and suggested that Mary be let go, and the Beatles could hire her as their new housekeeper, since she already lived there. Okay. And they agreed. <sighs> yeah. In late June of 1901. So she did do some stealing. She stole a job. She stole a job. That's... <laughs> You know what? I was wrong, and you were right. <laughs> she stole. She stole something um, that was much val- more valuable than an item. She stole somebody's entire job. <laughs> Late June, nineteen oh one, a woman named Mary Maddie Davis had attempted to contact Toppin over past year rent on a cottage Toppin had rented previously. Maddie was the landlord and decided that she was going to confront Toppin and show up at Toppin's home that she shared with the Beatles. During the visit, Toppin offered Maddie some Hunyadi Jados mineral water, which is essentially a Hungarian brand diet soda. It's just soda water. Gross mm. fizzy water. I like fizzy water. Maddie finished her glass and later, while not feeling well, Toppin administered morphine to help. Maddie was sick for seven days. The good old days when it's like, I don't feel good. My tummy hurts. Here's a bunch of morphine. The good old days. <laughs> you want some Coca-Cola? Here's some cocaine. To go I mean, with your morphine. It helped. I don't know how people weren't just like fucked up. How did we get anything done? Did you done? see that bo- the picture of the old bottle? And it's like, this has codeine and morphine. Yeah. And- yeah. cocaine in it and yeah. it's like oh no wonder it's a sleeping potion please stop giving that to your child mm-hmm. oh my gosh it's so funny maddie was sick for seven days they had a doctor out to check on her but he was stumped for seven days Toppin tortured maddie davis bringing her in and out of consciousness a forced coma nobody knew maddie died the first week of july with Maddie Davis gone, Toppin moved into the Davises' home to help care for Alvin Davis, Maddie's widower, and their three children. Yes, you're just welcome to come in now. Is that yeah. how this works? You, this is like um, Chronicles of Riddick rules, where you kill someone and you take what was theirs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure that's how that works. That's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how this works. This is late 1800s. <laughs> America. We're out here making America great. Just killing and taking what we want. <laughs> Fucking pillaging and trail of tears. All that good shit. Got them colonizers. Toppin wasted no time in trying to murder Mr. Davis. Mm-hmm. Within a week of caring for Alden, Jane lit a fire in her closet, which was quickly put out, thankfully. This didn't deter Jane's attempts. Several days later... Jane lit another fire in the family's pantry, then left the home, hoping the house and family would be taken care of while she was out on a walk. And nobody would know. Right. Okay. Yet they, again. They weren't, they weren't, cons- they weren't just like, hey, why is there a fire in your closet? Like, how did, okay. <laughs> she set some papers on fire in the closet and just assumed that everybody would die and nobody would be able to question it. Right, okay. That's. She's chosen a poor replacement for her previous plan. Yet again, the fire was quickly put out when some neighbors noticed the smoke and came over to help. At this point, I'm sure that Jane was more than determined to see this mass murder fantasy out. She set a third fire the following week 
which was once again put out quickly. And why? Why is she still in this house? I feel like by that point in time, I'd be like, "Well, you showed up, and suddenly there are fires. Uh, can you please leave?" Yeah, like I know this was a long time ago, but people weren't like just completely ignorant. You should be able to put those puzzle pieces together, right? Like, oh, you've been here a week, and there's been three fires. And you seem to not be around for any of them. Like, so weird. It's very frustrating. Yeah, I think that she really wanted to do this mass murder because she had done multiple murders. Yeah. But she hadn't done a mass murder. You know, she, she wanted to have multiple at once. Yeah. We're still in July, so all of this is in less than a month. Wow. The last week of July, Toppin poisoned Genevieve, the youngest daughter of the Davises. Mm-hmm. Genevieve had stayed home to help care for her father after the passing of her mother. Toppin attempted to convince the family that Genevieve's death was a suicide, claiming the girl was so distraught over Maddie Davis's death, she had taken her own life. How old was this girl? An adult. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, not that that makes it better, but in my mind, I was imagining, like... A child. A child. Committing suicide. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she was an adult. On August 8th, 1901, after nearly two weeks of experimenting on Alden, Jane gave him his final and fatal dose. Between August 12th and 13th, Toppin killed the rest of the family. Minnie Gibbs was the eldest of the children and had a 10-year-old son of her own. After poisoning Minnie, Jane immediately took Minnie's son to bed where she is assumed, but not known, to have molested him. Minnie was likely still alive at this point, but dying slowly. That's awful. Jane then returned to her hometown of Lowell. Though I read several articles that said it was to flee from any suspicion of the Davis murders, it's more widely agreed that Toppin had plans to seduce her late foster sister's widower, Ormel. Mm-hmm. On August 26th, Jane murdered Ormel's sister, Edna Bannister, because Jane perceived her as a threat to her apparent marriage to Ormel. Edna was 77 at the time. Jane's perception of reality... It's just so skewed to me. Yeah. Like, she's very obviously narcissistic and had already decided that Ormel was going to marry her. Right. Like, you can see her getting more and more and more and more altered. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one thing. She went through her nursing program and did all that. Fantastic. She bluffed her way into this uh, lunch lady thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that worked out for her. And now she's in these like home care situations and she's doing uh, one after the other. And it's just, like, you can see she's going to bigger and bigger, like, cons. Yeah. Like, she's killing these people, killing these people, uh, mass murdering these people. Mm-hmm. And now... Not only does she think, like, oh, yeah, I can do this little lunch lady thing. I can totally do that. No big deal. Like, I'm going to marry this man. Yeah. This is a done deal. It's going to happen. Yeah. Her, I don't know, her reality is just so fantastical. hmm She just keeps imagining herself in these positions wherein she has love or power or what have you. hmm And she has no idea how to achieve that. hmm Outside of taking it from somebody else. And that's... That's really sad, and I'm sure, obviously, this comes from her upbringing and and abuse and everything like that, and again, we come back to, we need to take care of children. Yeah. (laughs) This 
a recurring theme we have here. This is what happens. Um, children that grow up in healthy and loving homes don't just blindly hate people and want to see them suffer. So, While reading the newspaper on August 31st, Toppin discovered the father-in-law of Minnie Gibbs was suspicious over the sudden deaths of the Davis family and had okay. summoned the leading toxicologist in Massachusetts, Leonard Wood, to exhume the remains of the family. Good. John Patterson, a Massachusetts state police detective, was assigned to tail Toppin and make sure she didn't flee. And just watch for any suspicious activity she might be doing, make sure she wasn't doing anything else. Or, right. You know. Over the next month, Toppin repeatedly attempted to court Ormel, but he was just not interested and made it noticeably clear to Jane. Of course, this only made Jane more determined and she relied on old methods that had always worked for her in the past. Yeah. After poisoning Ormel only to nurse him back to health, she was certain he would see her value and fall for her or at least give in to her near constant attempts. That's how that works. It is. You don't, you don't know anything. That's how it works. Yeah. No. On September 29th, Toppin made what I can assume was the most desperate last-ditch effort she could think of and administered herself morphine near to the point of overdose, causing her to be hospitalized. The detective that was following her supposedly faked an illness to get himself in the hospital. Fantastic. We flew to Munchausen. (laughs) I think that Toppin knew exactly how much to give herself, though, and thought that this would make Armel feel pity for her and give them some kind of closeness. Mm-hmm. I said what I said. This didn't work either. <laughs> uh, go figure. No, yeah. Once she was healthy again, Armel gave her the boot. He was like, look, as soon as you got here, shit was weird, and everybody got sick, including you. You need to get the fuck out. Please leave, yeah. You sadistic woman. Oh, I mean, good job for him, you know, kicking her out before his house starts getting caught on fire. I swear. <sighs> Tobin left for New Hampshire, where she planned to visit her friend, Sarah Nichols. But luckily for Sarah, the visit was cut short when police arrived October 29th, 1901, to arrest Toppin. Surely Toppin was planning on killing her friend, probably living in her house for free for a bit, mm-hmm. before moving on. She, for whatever reason, really liked to kill the people she was closest to. It's so weird. She probably, you know, based on, like, how she was with her sister, harbored, like, the most... She's got, um, love or affection and and hate all rolled in together. Uh, I don't think she understood what emotions she was feeling. Yeah. Jane pled not guilty in November, but the prosecution and Captain Gibbs, Minnie's father-in-law, mm-hmm. were not convinced and were determined to prove Jane's guilt. The third week of November, just before Thanksgiving, the remains of the Davis family were exhumed to gather more evidence. Tobin's defense had two boosters early in the trial, the first being that the Davis family doctor had died recently. The defense argued that any evidence he would have had would have proven Tobin's innocence. The second being that the prosecution had claimed Toppin was using arsenic in her victims. While that was true for one or two, it was not true in large. Mm -hmm. The arsenic was actually from the embalming fluid the undertaker had used. Yeah. So they could detect arsenic, but that's 
And you can too. Yeah, and you can too. Yeah, because um, it has an almond smell. And then on your fingers, hypothetically. Now, I read this once when I was like eight, and so it's been in my brain ever since. It could be very wrong due to de- deterioration or just being wrong. Yeah. But hypothetically, your nail beds, if your nail beds are white, you should be checked for arsenic poisoning. If it were not for Captain Gibbs, Toppin would have likely walked. The prosecution stuck with the arsenic, despite the evidence, and they were shooting themselves in the foot when Captain Gibbs was interviewed about the case. Captain Gibbs said he never believed it to be arsenic because Toppin was brilliant, and the prosecution wasn't recognizing or admitting that. Gibbs claimed he believed it to be a mixture of opiates given to Toppin's pharmaceutical knowledge, likely morphine and atrophine, which would cancel out each other's symptoms. This interview was, of course, printed in a local newspaper, and soon other newspapers were picking up the story, which led to the discovery of Tobin's very messy past. Mm-hmm. The prosecution was able to find motive for the Davis murders. Jane owed the family approximately $500, oh, wow. which she had paid to Alden just before the murders. Supposedly, he kept the money on him, but they couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, she took it and left. Mm-hmm. Captain Gibbs' assessment of the poisons used helpful to put the sites directly on Toppin, as only a medical professional would really know that sort of combination. Mm-hmm. The prosecution was able to find more motive, usually money-related, to other mysterious deaths that happened around Jane, specifically the sudden death of Jane's friend Myra and Jane's immediate replacement of Myra. Even with this cornucopia of evidence, prosecuting Tobin was getting less and less likely to be the best choice by the day. Many of her previous wealthy patients were using their wealth and power to influence the outcome. They wrote letters, spoke to officials. They didn't believe that Jane could do something so awful. After all, they were still alive. Yeah. Right? If she were a murderous woman like the media was making her seem to be... They would all be dead. It doesn't affect me, so it must not be real. Exactly. This only pushed the prosecution farther to examining Jane's mental health. Supposedly, Jane's own state-appointed lawyer, Fred Bixby, agreed with the DA's office that a trial involving any sort of insanity defense was too much trouble for what it was worth and decided on a private panel of experts. Starting in March 1902, Jane Toppin was being seen by three separate psyche experts. Psyche? Yeah. 1800s. Well, 1900s. Early 1900s. Okay, yeah. Sure. Dr. Henry Stedman, Dr. George Jelly, and Dr. Hosea Quinby to evaluate her sanity. Initially, Toppin was elusive with information, but as is her nature, soon she was talking away with little white lie after little white lie. Mm Mm-hmm. Being professionals, the experts were not fooled. They knew she was lying, but they pushed harder. Not only did Toppin admit to the murder of the Davis family, but because of how calm Toppin had been while admitting to her crimes, they were convinced she was insane. Mm -hmm. Toppin was not having it and refuted all of it. They were convinced that she was insane. Overall, she admitted to over 30 murders, sparing no detail. The experts were shook. Not only were there way more murders than the 11 they originally suspected, 
but the way that they had that she had described the crimes convinced them that she was not in any way shape or form in a healthy mental state right Toppin spoke of the murders calmly fondly and passionately she confessed she would climb into bed with her victims as they uh-huh. faded in and out of life fondling them and quote uh, staring into their souls uh, i don't like that the doctors had never experienced anyone like Topin. all three doctors agreed and declared jolly jane Topin morally insane jane vehemently denied the expert's claim saying she knew it was bad when she did it but that it didn't matter to her she was and remained sane she was just murderous when asked if she had any regrets about the murders, Toppin replied, That is my ambition, to have killed more people, more helpless people, than any man or woman who has ever lived. The trial was held less as a necessity, but more so that the precedent wasn't set that medical findings would outweigh a jury. Mm-hmm. Someone had leaked information on Toppin's psychological assessment and was already seen as... A terrifying and cold-blooded killer. Right. The term serial killer hadn't been coined in 1902, but this was the first trial to stand that we know of in America with a serial killer. Wow. It lasted one day. Six hours was deliberation in total. Oh, that was it. The coup de grace during the hearing was, was when Dr. Henry Stedman, one of the three doctors who assessed Toppin, asked for the purpose of getting of giving Minnie Gibbs poison. To which she replied, to cause death. <laughs> she just... And see, like, I was thinking about it when you were talking about whether or not she was insane because she knew what she was doing was wrong. Mm-hmm. Which I think is kind of a gray area. Like, yes, she knew she was doing wrong, but also, like, she crazy. See, and this is my hang-up with Edmund Kemper, is that he knew and knows that it's bad. He is literally the only reason that he is still in prison. Right. Does that make him more crazy or less crazy? Same thing with her. If you know something is bad to that extent. Yeah. You know what I mean? This isn't taking candy from the store. This is right. taking multiple lives. At what point do you become, is it thinking that it's okay? Or is it not thinking that it's okay, but doing it anyways for your own satisfaction? Yeah. So I think a, a bit of a difference between Ed Kemper and Jolly Jane. Granted, I don't know how, a whole lot about Ed Kemper because you keep putting off presenting that case. It makes me anxious. <laughs> I want to do a good job. Is like he he's like, no, do not let me out of here. Whereas I feel like she would be like, yes, please. Yeah. Can I please go? Yeah. I'd like to do more murders. See, and that's what I'm saying. Like, at what point does he become more or less crazy? And I think that's what makes him less crazy than her. Is that he is taking responsibility for it? Yes. Okay. Whereas she she might acknowledge that she did them. See, and I think that makes him like, scarier. I'm not denying that. You know like, what I mean? For sure. He's just like, yes, I did that. And the only thing that is keeping me from doing that again is this door. Yeah, exactly. Like, what? It's like in horror movies when, like, the people are running away and the killer's just so confident. They're, like, just strolling along. Mm-hmm. Like, that's terrifying. You're so confident in yourself. You aren't concerned at all. It's like, I'm just going to keep walking because, like, I can catch you. I know that there's a cliff right there. You're going to fall off and I know the way down. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that's the difference. Is I'm pretty. I feel like she would be like, "Yes, please let me out so I can do more murders." And he's just like, "No, you shouldn't do that. You should please stop." And and they're just like, "Here, let let us let you out." And he's like, "No, no, no." Yeah, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> On June twenty third, nineteen o two, Jane Toppin was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and sentenced to life in Totten Insane Hospital. Keep in mind, this is nineteen o two. So any insane asylum wasn't an enjoyable place to be. Yeah. Initially, Jane seemed quite content and quickly became almost a favorite of the staff. Of course. Because, you know, she's not actually insane to the sense that other patients might have been. So she was probably pleasant to be around, you know. Yeah. And she's smart, too. She's coherent and she's smart. Yeah. Um, That quickly faded when her mental health began to suffer. Mm. She developed manic depression and had outlandish fantasies. She would comment on how she was going to be a nun and get out of the insane asylum. She blamed her murdering on no man marrying her, saying if she had just had a husband and a family to care for, she wouldn't have killed anyone. That her mind would have been taken up with her husband, children, and home. For a short time, Jane would refuse to eat meals, concerned that they were poisoned. Of course. Yeah. The irony there is mm-hmm. palatable. For over 30 years, Jane's mental capacities deteriorated until she was elderly. Eventually, most likely due to medication and old age, she was quiet and stopped making any problems in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Jane died at the age of 84 and was notoriously known for years as the most prolific and terrifying serial killer in the United States. Wow. And her sister spent her whole life in an insane asylum, right? Yeah. Pretty much? Yeah. Wow. She had over 31 murders that we know of. Yeah. This one was really nice to research because... I had a lot of sources because I had a lot of sources, but it was definitely terrifying to read how easy it was for her to do this mm-hmm. and nobody questioned it. Mm-hmm. This woman was only five foot three. Mm-hmm. That's She's my, small. that's my height. A very small woman, but she was able to, to kill dozens of people. Yeah. For 12 years, and nobody noticed. <laughs> Which also, like, come on, guys. Everyone in your neighborhood starts dying, and yeah. one lady is moving around. Come Bro, on. if this woman moves into a home and everybody dies, you're not going to suspect anything weird? Especially when she moves into, like, the next friend's home, and they die. Like, <laughs> I have so many questions for the, the neighborhoods no, of the, the early 1900s. No, because listen, listen. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard this, too, that, that the generation above us, the baby boomer generation, is always like, oh, you guys never go outside anymore, and you never do this, and we used to just leave our door open, and the neighborhood kids would come over, like, mm-hmm. yeah, bitch, that's why you guys died so much. <laughs> the fuck? I don't let my kid go down the street without me. I don't know what creep is hunting around in my street. Yeah. If you're with a group of friends, okay, cool, but you're not going anywhere by yourself. You literally had children going missing on their way home from school, and you were like, oh, no, that's sad for that one child. That won't happen again. Oh, no, that's sad. 
I have a very specific memory of living in Atlanta, which means I would have been in between kindergarten and first grade, and watching either Unsolved Mysteries or America's Most Wanted or something like that. Oh, yeah. And there was one story. There's, I mean, there's a slew of stories I remember specifically, but the, this one was about a little girl my age who lived in an apartment complex. We lived in an apartment complex. And she had walked to go check the mail because you had to go walk all the yeah. way around the apartment complex to the, box. to the mailbox and use the little key and open it up. Mm-hmm. And um, never returned. Yeah. And her mom was like, I can see the mailbox from my house. Like, yeah. It's on the other side, but it's like right there. She should have been back in five minutes and she always did it. Mm-hmm. And she was like five years old. And we were the same age. And like that was my job was to walk and go mm-hmm. get them get the mail. And I remember the next day, my mom was like, okay, go get the mail. And I was just like, I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. If I send the kids down to the mailbox, which, mind you, my mailbox is just the front of my yard. Yeah. I watch out of the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First of all, you're very near to a street. And secondly, you're my child and you're very near to the street. Yeah. I just, if one little thing like watching my kid walk to the mailbox keeps them from being stolen or dying... I'm going to take that extra 30 seconds out of my fucking yeah. day. Yeah. I I don't fully understand the whole, like, well, I didn't have modern medicine, so why should kids nowadays have oh modern medicine? Oh, my God. It's like, because it's better. Yeah. Everybody's like, well, I've never been approached by somebody to get in a vehicle, and I'm like, well, I have. And I didn't know that's what it was at the time. I literally... I was in high school. This is how, I was in high school, and I was this stupid. I was walking home, right? Mm-hmm. So you know how to get to my house from the high school, mm-hmm. right? So I was walking home, and it's really just two streets yeah. before you get to my neighborhood. They're long, but it's two streets. I was on that first street, and this old Buick drives by, and this old man puts his hand up, and I go, oh, I think it's my Grandpa Jack, because mm-hmm. he drives a similar car. Car pulls over to the side of the road, so I run back. I'm ready to get in the fucking car. I thought yeah. it was my Grandpa Jack. I get into the door, and I go, oh. You're not my grandpa. Like, that was one of them I said. I was like, oh, you're not my grandpa. And he was like, no, you want to ride? And I was like, no, I thought you were my grandpa. You're not. I don't want to ride. And he was like, you're sure? I can just give you a ride. And I was like, no, I don't want that. I thought it was weird, but again, mm-hmm. teenager, and I just brushed it off. And then, like, three years later, I was sitting there, and I remembered it, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I was I'm almost stolen. abducted. <laughs> but, like, mm-hmm. yeah, but... it's harder to go under the radar now, too, because everything is recorded everywhere. Yeah. All right, well, Javon, tell us how wrong we were. Not me. Not me. (laughs) You're the one who can't say strychnine. Not you. Jolly Jane. (laughs) Why are you being so mean to me? Thanks for listening to Murder Moms. Be sure to like us, rate us, and subscribe to us. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to our Patreon, where you'll get exclusives like outtakes, discount codes for merch, and bloopers. Subscribe to our newsletter to see the photos we discuss in the episode, our sources, links to merch, and other bonuses. Submit questions, comments, and corrections to murdermomspodcast at gmail.com, and you can also just drop a line to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you in two weeks.